And with the local recording started, then we'll go ahead, we'll play some intro music. Not that end culture thing. We got a much nicer thing for the Surreal Politique show. It's great. Really nice. Got better intro music than anybody in the business, you know that? It's the one thing that always works. Twenty-sixth day of February, two thousand twenty-four. Of course, being the current year, it's at nine thirty p.m. on a Monday, as it usually is when we do the show. And uh, if you are listening on some other platform at some other time, I would invite you to join us for the live shows. We uh, we take your calls on the air, or at least that's kind of the idea. We we have the capacity to do that in any case. Let me uh, always something, always something. Let me go get that light fixed a little bit. That light is too much because. Every single time, what am I going to talk about? Let me go turn that exposure down, turn that gain up, maybe a little bit of extra brightness there. There we go. Beautiful. Okay. And so as I was saying, uh, if you're listening on some of the platform at some of the time, I'd invite you to join us for live shows. We do this. You can pick it up on Odyssey or Rumble. Uh, we, the, the players on SurrealPolitics.com and ChristopherCantwell.net also carry the live, uh, the live audio of the show. At ChristopherCantwell.net slash live, SurrealPolitics.com slash live, I believe, also has a live video player there. And so however you decide to do it, uh, listening to the live show is a lot of fun. We got a live chat with the audience on uh, Odyssey and Rumble, and it's a good time. You can send me money there, too, and I love that. That's great. It's a good way to get my attention and throw money at me uh, and also to make yourself feel very good about, you know, about yourself. I want to say, uh, you know, I know that we actually have... A whole bunch of new listeners. I, I monitor the the uh, the download stats on here, and you know the people who have been with us for a long time. You know, for, since before Surreal Politics, the Surreal Politics show goes out. Um, those of you who listen to the to the uncensored production, you know this. Uh, it goes out over the RSS feeds for the for the uncensored show because it's I uh, just you know syndicate the whole thing that's always been out there. Um, but uh, the Surreal Politics has its own podcast RSS feed, which I, which is the one that I submitted to all the, you know, for, to the mainstream distribution platforms. And so I want to say hello to our new listeners because I know that we have some. And I'll tell you, if you think the show is fun to listen to, just downloading it, man, you come join us for the live show. It's a great time. Chat with other listeners. Talk to me. Give a call at 217-688-1433. Uh, and we would love to hear from you. So shout out to the new listeners. Shout out to everybody who's going to be joining us for the live shows and calling in. And again, if, you, uh, if you're if you not able to join us for the live shows, you can leave us a voicemail. 
And the number to do that, let me go ahead and pull that up real quick, as a matter of fact. The number to do that, because I don't have it memorized. I don't call it very often, you might gather. Uh, the number to call, if you want to leave a voicemail, is 202-599-7386. 202-599-7386. You can even send an SMS, like a text message to that number. And uh, and I'll be happy to uh, take your voicemail on the air. If you're not able to join us for live shows, I'll play your voicemail and we can talk. Okay, Or we won't be able to talk, you know, but... I'll be able to uh, respond to what it is that you have to say. And uh, I would love to have your input because, I mean, everything's just going uh, everything's going so swimmingly. Except for over there in Ukraine. Things are kind of not so good in Ukraine, you know. Ukraine's kind of a mess, you know. You think things are bad in the United States, go be, go be in Ukraine for a little while. Uh, you know, I've, uh, I've had a theory about what's going on there for a long time. As a matter of fact, before the FBI broke my door down... <laughs> I had uh, just three months prior to that, I had published an episode of my Uncensored show. I think it was the Ukraine question, I think was the title of that episode. And I started getting the idea like, you know what, this whole Democrat nonsense about Russian interference in the election, Donald Trump is the Siberian candidate, all this nonsense. I started to theorize like this is Ukraine did this. This is the Democrats screwing around in Ukraine and using Russia as their, you know, their scapegoat, their their distraction, right? And we keep on getting more and more evidence of that. You know, it, it's clearer than ever, I think, that what I've been saying all along is absolutely correct. And we have as much, what amounts to an admission of this from none other than the New York Times, uh, citing numerous named and unnamed sources in a lengthy piece titled The Spy War, which was also summarized today quite nicely by the fine fellows over there at Zero Hedge. According to the New York Times, during the Obama administration, the CIA formed close intelligence ties with Ukraine. This was done under the auspices of espionage against the Russian Federation following Victoria, Victoria Newland's 2014 coup against Viktor Yanukovych. Of course, we all know that <laughs> the U.S. government was behind the coup. It's actually not ambiguous at all. John McCain was over there. Lindsey Graham was over there. There's the audio recording of, um, you know, Victoria Newland talking about, okay, here's who's going to be in your government, right? <laughs> well, like, that doesn't happen, you know? It's not like the government gets overthrown and then Victoria Newland calls you up and she's like, hey, you know, sorry to hear about your coup or whatever, but I just I just have, you know, some advice on who might run the government now that it's been overthrown, you know. <laughs> so, of course, you know, you read the New York Times and you understand that, you know, you got to read between the lines. And you have to understand that they have motives, you know. But among their motives is actually that they can't help themselves, right? <laughs> like they can't, they, they literally can't, you know, it's not good enough. It's not good enough to seize power corruptly, right? It's not good enough to run the world. It's not good enough to kill your enemies. It's not good enough to be a crook. What good is it being a crook if you can't go brag about it in the New York Times? See, that's kind of part of the part of the problem over there. And that's why, you know, prisons will never go out of business, right? Because criminals, they want to brag about their crimes, as a matter of fact. 
it's not it's not you know prisons are not filled up with criminals because the, i mean don't get me wrong there's smart people in law enforcement and thank god for that okay but that's not why prisons are filled up with criminals and it's not entirely that the criminals are stupid either there are a lot of really smart people in prison you know but they can't help themselves you see they have to tell you, right? They have to come out and they'd be like, you don't even understand how good I am at my crimes. I have to come out and tell you all about the crimes that I'm committing. Just because you would never even know. That's how good I am, you see. Prior to the outbreak of the present hostilities, the CIA had built and equipped and trained staff for 12 top-secret spy bases in Ukraine. It trained and equipped a Ukrainian intelligence team known as the 5th Directorate. Since the outbreak of current hostilities, two or more two more bases have been built, according to the New York Times, and all of the rules allegedly limiting the partnership have been eliminated. Whereas once the CIA refused to do anything that could foreseeably result in fatalities though that terminology was always inherently subject to a great deal of interpretation, of course. Under the Biden administrations, the gloves were now off. And now the CIA is helping Ukrainians kill Russians on a routine basis while claiming that they're not going to get us into World War III because that's obviously what they're doing. And of course, the New York Times notes that after Trump's election, his presidency was subverted from within. Bolton, Mike Pompeo, all these people, Nikki Haley, of course. They were all, according to the New York Times, tiptoeing around Trump. Trying to keep him from knowing what they were doing over there. And what is left out of the piece by the Times and Zero Hedge, perhaps, you know, in all fairness, for lack of direct evidence, but it's still an obvious inference is that this was no less for the purpose of waging domestic political warfare in the United States. An intelligence agency can be expected to do no less when losing a war is the consequence, right? If the Ukrainian intelligence services are reliant upon a foreign political support and that support is threatened by a change in the political winds and the survival of that country and that agency depends upon altering those political winds. So if the CIA goes over to Ukraine and it's like, hey, I'm going to teach you all the dark arts of yada, 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 right? Now, keep in mind, okay, the, the SBU, the Ukrainian intelligence services, are descended from the KGB, okay, after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. This is not something that happened 100 years ago, okay? So this is the KGB trained a bunch of people and then retired and then, you know, do all the things that retirees do in intelligence right and then during the obama administration the cia comes in and is like hey you guys are pretty cool i like you guys a lot i think that you and me are going to be good friends so we're going to start teaching you guys how to hack into computers and uh and intercept communications and do all the things that the cia does because we're 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 good friends now because you guys overthrew your government whenever you guys overthrow an elected government you know, we we realize that we're of the same kind, you know? So we're going to start sharing all our secrets with you. 
And we'll teach you how to do all the dirty tricks that we do in other countries. And then they're like, you know, uh, you know, if we happen to lose this election, oh, that would turn out real bad for you, wouldn't it, huh? <laughs> hey, I got an idea. How about I teach you how to do all the dirty tricks that the CIA does, and then I inform you of the circumstances under which you would lose billions and billions and billions of dollars in support and then instantly fall victim to a superior foe just a few feet away from you. Best of luck, guys. Hey, look, don't be using any of those tricks on uh, on our people over there, okay? Because that would be immoral. You understand? I'm, you know, we're not going to send you a strongly worded letter or anything. All I'm saying is that tisk tisk, you know, we wouldn't want you to violate the moral boundaries of espionage because we are nothing if not ethical folks in the spy business. The Obama administration, John Brennan, the neocons, they, of course, they understand all this, right? Even if such agreements were never explicit, they were certainly implicit, and there is certainly no question whatsoever about the corrupting influence this has had when we see how much money went to Hunter Biden, okay? If, if you're involved in the intelligence agencies over there, you know, the CIA is over there and they're like, hey, guys, come on, let's go overthrow the Russian government or whatever. We like overthrowing governments. You guys are pretty cool. And then the, uh, you know, the, the energy company is like, hey, you know, <laughs> let's go hire the crackhead son of the vice president of the United States and hand him billions and billions of dollars. And the CIA is like, yeah, well, you know, why would we know anything about that? We're all, you know, we're too busy spying on them Ruskies. We don't pay any attention to what American citizens are doing. Nah, we're the CIA. It's like not our stuff, you know. That's all the FBI, man. The FBI doesn't care. It's cool. <laughs> we're not working for the IRS here. We're just trying to, you know, we're just trying to do good. We're just trying to help these guys who overthrew their government go do the same thing next door. And now the Biden administration, of course, they're risking nuclear war with Russia, not to protect Ukraine, not to protect democracy, and certainly not in pursuit of any vital American interest, but to prevent the lid being blown off of this entire thing and everybody involved going to prison for the rest of their lives, which would hopefully be very short when they're executed very swiftly. And so I got this piece up here in the New York Times kind of long but it's worth going over i mean it's just <laughs> i haven't watched any tv today i haven't watched tv in a little while by the way i i know i mentioned this on telegram a couple times i don't know if i hollowed this on the show but if any of you have like a a cable tv subscription i canceled my cable tv subscription some time ago and uh because i don't really use it you know to pay you know a hundred something dollars you know what they want to charge me for this I forget what the exact amount was. You know, it's a it's a bundle package or whatever. I had my cell phone with the company or whatever. But I think I paid over a hundred dollars. Just I'm like, what do you? They're like, what do you want TV wise? I'm like, I need the Fox News Channel. So that's all I need. And then they hand me this thing with this like list of nonsense, and they're like, yeah, well, you know, here's your local sports surcharge. I'm like, yeah, you could just keep the local sports thing. 
I'm, you know, I don't watch any sports at all. The my, I only want to watch political blood sports. That's all I care about, you know. They're like, yeah, no, you can't escape the local sports surcharge. I'm like, yeah, I can. I can just not pay for cable TV anymore. I'll just do that. Okay, bye. Goodbye. And it didn't really matter because I had, uh, well, my folks, they have cable TV. And I still have an e- email address on their account, right? So I have the Roku box. And I'm like, well, I'll just download the Fox News app and put it on there. That worked fine. It works fine almost all the time. Except that my parents are on an extended vacation in Florida. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to shut the cable off. I'm going to pay these idiots hundreds of dollars a month so that the box can collect dust. No. Which is eminently reasonable with them. But one day I go to turn on Fox and I'm like, oh, I'm logged out. I'm like, it's probably because mom and dad are in Florida. That turned out to be the case. So what I'm getting at here is if you could make an email address for me on your cable account, um, I'm happy to help you do this if it's not obvious to you. But, you know, if you have a Comcast.net email address or an OptOnline.net email address, it's fairly straightforward, that I could use to log into Roku. I'm never going to send an email over it. I'm not going to be uh, conducting financial transactions and drawing all manner of attention to your account. But it's just so I can watch the Fox News channel on Roku. If you're able to do that, ChristopherCantwell.net slash contact or however it is that you see fit to get in touch with me, I'd be uh, very grateful. What was the other thing I was going to... There was another thing I was going to request. Um... I started burning off. As a matter of fact, let me show the camera here. I put out a picture of these things all stacked up. These are the uh, the best of the Surreal Politique CDs. Uh, it doesn't look very good because I got my background removal AI nonsense going on here. Um, these are the uh, the best of Surreal Politique CDs. <laughs> it's funny. And uh, volume one, it's only got three tracks on it because, you know, you got 74 minutes on a CD and I never shut up, right? The uh, Consequences of Masking, uh, Unknown Soldier, and Beauty Revisited I got onto here. And I had to cut a bunch of stuff out of Beauty Revisited. Part of the problem, Beauty Revisited was pretty long, you know. And I'm and I'm a, I'm a narcissist. I'm not, <laughs> I'm only half kidding about that. Um, my problem is that, you know, trying to cut things out of what I'm doing, trying to shorten things down. I'm like, no, I can't do that. There's a lot of genius. No, you know. Trying to find the part that I can remove is not an easy thing for me to do, as a matter of fact. But anyway, so I've, I, man- I managed to eventually do that, and uh, I, I did minimal bleeding involved. It was okay. And so I got these CDs uh, put together. Um, I have some interim labels. I got a really talented guy. Thank you, White Ranger, for your help. Uh, fellas uh, helping me uh, with uh, better labels than the ones I have on there now. But I started to burn these things off, and I have for a long time I've had a um, like a, a one to five disc duplicator. And I guess in all the years of moving around and it just all of the years period and use and whatnot, this thing has seen better days apparently because now uh, I can only get it to work with three of the drives, and it's not any three particular drives. It's the thing can only power three drives, which leads me to conclude that the Power supply is shot. So if anybody's sitting around on an ATX power supply, 550 watts or better, and uh, this thing's just sitting around collecting dust in your place, you want to uh, ship it to me, that'd be fantastic. Christopher Cantwell, 497 Hookset Road, Unit 312, Manchester, New Hampshire, 03104. Or you can send me an email. We'll talk about it. And so uh, if you, yeah, that's, uh, I could make other requests, but we'll do that towards the end of the show. 
But anyway, so I got that. Uh, I got that together. Why did I want to tell you that before I got into the Ukraine story? I was gonna. Anyway. So I got the Ukraine story up here in the New York Times. Long story short. Nestled in a dense forest, the Ukrainian military base appears abandoned and destroyed. Its command center, a burned-out husk, a casualty of Russian missile barrage early in the war. But that is above ground. Not far away, a discreet passageway descends to a subterranean bunker where teams of Ukrainian soldiers track Russian spy satellites and eavesdrop on conversations between Russian commanders. On on one screen, a red line followed the route of an explosive drone threading through Russian air defenses from a point in central Ukraine to a target in the Russian city of Rostov. Oh, that's why I said... My point was, I'm not seeing this talked about everywhere else. Okay, because I got into the TV thing. That's what sidetracked me. I saw this in a headline over at Revolver News. Revolver didn't really go to any trouble to draw extra attention to it. You know, they if you ever look at Revolver News, Revolver News will latch on to things, you know, like the January 6th pipe bomb story, right? Or January 6th more generally. Every time there's any news about January 6th, there's a dozen headlines that day on Revolver News about the Fed surrection and the pipe bomb and yada, yada, yada. One line, 12 military bases, and, and what they link to is not an archive of the New York Times piece. They just link to the summary over at Zero Hedge. This is not mentioned on the Drudge Report today that I saw. I have not spent a lot of time clicking around on social media today, but I haven't heard anybody else talking about this. This is a huge story. The underground bunker built to replace the destroyed command center in the months after Russia's invasion is a secret nerve center of Ukraine's military. There is also one more secret. The base is almost fully financed and partly equipped by the CIA. Quote, 110% General Serhii Dvoretsky, a top intelligence commander, said in an interview at the base. Now entering the third year of the war that has claimed hundreds of thousands of lives, the intelligence partnership between Washington and Kiev is a linchpin of Ukraine's ability to defend itself. The CIA and other American intelligence agencies provide intelligence for targeted missile strikes, track Russian troop movements, and help support spy networks. But the partnership is no wartime creation, nor is Ukraine the only beneficiary. It took root a decade ago, 10 years ago, 2014. And by the way, just let's be literal here. The Maidan coup, I believe, was in May of 2014. It's February. This piece was published (laughs) in February. This piece was published. Let's just do we have a date on this thing? This piece was published yesterday and updated today at the New York Times. And they're saying, hey, a decade ago, 10 years ago, 10 years ago from today, which is three months before the Maidan coup. Now, you know, maybe I'm picking, but, you know, uh, what's the splitting hairs here? Who knows? 
I'm just saying, it took root a decade ago, is the words that the New York Times used in February of 2024. Coming together in fits and starts under three very different U.S. presidents, pushed forward by key individuals who often took daring risks. It has transformed Ukraine, whose intelligence agencies were long seen as thoroughly compromised by Russia into one of Washington's most important intelligence partners against the Kremlin today. The listening post in the Ukrainian forest is part of a CIA-supported network of spy bases constructed in the last eight years that includes 12 secret locations along the Russian border. Before the war, Ukrainians proved themselves to Americans by collecting intercepts that helped to prove Russia's involvement in the 2014 downing of a commercial jetliner, Malaysia Airlines Flight 17. The Ukrainians also helped the Americans go after Russian operatives who meddled in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Which is to say, this is a bunch of nonsense, right? What do you think the Ukrainian intelligence service is gathering about a 2014 downing of the Malaysian airliner? What they are doing is making stuff up, right? And they're like, here, here's convincing things that you can feed to people and blame stuff on them, right? They help them go after Russians who interfered in the 2016 presidential election. Well, nobody interfered in the 2016 election, okay? What Russia did, <laughs> what Russia is alleged to, to have done, what they keep on calling election interference is not election interference. It's called saying stuff, you see? It's called talking. And people do a lot of that, you know? <laughs> And if you've been listening to me for any period of time, you know my theory on this, that it's not even its not even that. What they say is Russia interfering in the election on behalf of Donald Trump is a lie. It's the Ukrainian intelligence services doing what the Democrats want them to do, thinking that it's going to harm Donald Trump and then it blowing up in their faces, okay? What do they say the, the Russians did? They, they blame the alt-right on Russians. They say Russia amplified racist themes to help Donald Trump. When, when have you ever seen a Republican want racial tensions flared to get elected? You don't see that. You see Democrats do that. You see Democrats running around saying that Republicans are racist hoping that it will rile up the blacks and depress white turnout. And so Republicans try to avoid that. What they say is that Donald Trump was aided by the Russians, amplifying the very Democrat narratives that Democrats want amplified. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. There's not a sane person who believes that. There's lots of you know, uninformed people, but there's nobody who's like understands the allegation and actually believes it. It's a lie. It's obviously not true. So if the Ukrainian intelligence services are proving themselves to the CIA by making up evidence about down jetliners, because, you know, the Russian Federation is like, you know what would probably help us, guys? 
You think like Vladimir Putin is hanging out with his generals? He's like, what do you think? I, what do you guys think we should do? Uh, sir, I think that the thing you need to do is is shoot down a civilian airline. Just go full Al-Qaeda on them, you know? Just go take a shoulder-fired missile. We'll go send some guy out there, and we'll have him blow a civilian airliner out of the sky, and uh, and then we'll spend the next 10 years talking about it over the phone. We'll, we'll send each other text messages about it because those Ukrainian dupes over there are not working with the CIA. They don't know how to spy on us, sir. Okay, go do it. Yeah. BS. Around 2016, the CIA began training an elite Ukrainian commando force known as Unit 2245, which captured Russian drones and communications gear so that CIA technicians could reverse engineer them and crack Moscow's encryption systems. One officer in the unit was Kirilo Budinov, now the general leading Ukraine's military intelligence. Now, Here's an interesting thing that also occurs in 2016. Have you ever heard that John Brennan, the director of the CIA under Barack Obama, who's a complete lunatic, you might have gathered, who lied under oath in front of Congress, which you might know is a felony. Are you aware of the fact that he voted for Gus Hall? Do you know who Gus Hall is? Gus Hall was a Communist Party candidate. Okay. Now, there's a couple of things in it. No, okay, you know, he's in college, you know. He's over there smoking marijuana with the Chicanos and Obama or whatever, right? Maybe, who knows? Whatever it is, you know, he makes a mistake, fine. Or, you know, maybe it was more than that. Well, I'll tell you, you know who knows all about what the Communist Party was doing in the United States, you know, during the Soviet Union, when John Brennan was in college. Uh, the KGB knows all about what the Communist Party of the United States was doing while John Brennan was in college, right? And so, you know, I'm not saying that John Brennan was necessarily involved in the Communist Party. Maybe he just showed up on Election Day. It was like, these other guys suck and checked the box. You know, he wasn't very specific about it when he admitted to this in public in 2016. Yeah, so John Brennan, he took his uh, his polygraph to enter the CIA in 1980, turns out. And sometime in 2016, he gave a speech to some uh, some students. And he uh, and at that speech, he divulged that he had voted for Gus Hall, the Communist Party candidate, while he was in college. And uh, and he noted that he was asked about. When he took his polygraph at the CIA in 1980, he said, have you ever been involved with a group that sought the overthrow of the government of the United States? And he's like, well, I voted for the Communist Party candidate once. Does that count? And then for some reason, they brought him into the CIA anyway, because, you know, why not? It's 1980. <laughs> now, mind you, you know, I spent my single-digit years, terrified of nuclear war with the Soviet Union, okay? <laughs> you know, like right up until they talked, right, right up until I had to do the air raid drills for Saddam Hussein, like from the time I was born until Saddam Hussein, right? 
They were like, you had to get under your desk, duck and cover stuff, right? <laughs> they don't do that to you kids now. They just tell you, you guys have like active shooter drills, a completely different process. But, you know, my childhood was plagued by nightmares of nuclear war with the Soviet Union. And, you know, I was born in 1980, which is when, you know, the communist John Brennan was taking his polygraph to the CIA. And sh shockingly enough, he passed it. So anyway, so in 2016, just, you know, just a mere coincidence of our timelines is what I'm getting is that when John Brennan confesses out loud in public for the first time that we know of that he voted for the Communist Party, that happens to be the same year that John Brennan's CIA begins training an elite Ukrainian commando force known as Unit 2245, which captured Russian drones and communications gear so that CIA technicians could reverse engineer them and crack Moscow's encryption systems. One officer in the unit was Kirillo Budinov, the now general leading Ukraine's military intelligence. And the CIA, run by John Brennan, who had voted for the Communist Party when there was still a Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union was controlling Ukraine, which created the KGB, which is what the SBU descends from, also helped train a new generation of Ukrainian spies who operated inside of Russia across Europe. Wait a second. Why are a bunch of Ukrainians trained by the CIA operating across Europe? Our European friends are probably not very happy about that. Better check with them. And in Cuba and in other places where Russians have a large presence. The relationship is so ingrained that CIA officers remained at a remote location in western Ukraine when the Biden administration evacuated U.S. personnel in the weeks before Russia invaded in February of 2022. During the invasion, the officers relayed critical intelligence, including where Russia was planning strikes and which weapon systems they would use. So... The CIA is like, yeah, here's a bunch of, we're going to create these bases all along the Russian border. And then sure enough, that's going to result in a war, obviously. And then when the war comes, we'll stick around because that's the whole entire point, right? Quote, without them, there would have been no way for us to resist the Russians or to beat them, said Ivan Bakanov who was then head of Ukraine's domestic intelligence agency, the SBU. The details of this intelligence partnership, many of which are being disclosed by the New York Times for the first time, have been a closely guarded secret for a decade. Again, there's that word again, decade, huh? Because, you know, the Maidan coup happened in May of 2014. It's February of 2014 now. How are you keeping secrets about a thing that has not happened yet? That's interesting. Well, we already know, obviously, right? It's obvious. In more than 200 interviews, current and former officials in Ukraine, the United States, and Europe described a partnership that nearly foundered from the mutual distrust before it steadily expanded, turning Ukraine into an intelligence-gathering hub that intercepted more Russian communications than the CIA station in Kiev could initially handle. Many of the officials spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss intelligence and matters of sensitive diplomacy. Now, 
here's, you know, we're going to go through how they develop all their trust and stuff like that. But how did how did 200 people have information to give to the New York Times about this? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it's obvious that the New York Times is doing the bidding of the intelligence agencies. This is a, you know, it's, it's their work, right? This is not, oh my God, those New York Times reporters are just so, they're just so good at getting the, so good at getting the story, right? This is the time at which the CIA is like, all right, got to go, let's go tell all of this stuff, okay? Hey, guys, they're about to catch us, okay? We've got to do something fast. Otherwise, you're going to figure out the whole thing. Let's go have the New York Times publish a tell-all, okay? Because if they figure out what we're really doing, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. (laughs) So the CIA is like, yeah, let's go start a war with Russia, you know? Uh, you know, the communist voting <laughs> sympathizer who's running the CIA after he confesses to this um, will get into bed with a KGB descended agency that probably knew of all his communist activity when he was in college. And then we're going to have 200 people speak to the New York Times about it and act like, uh, you know, we're still keeping secrets. Now these intelligence networks are more important than ever as Russia is on the offensive and Ukraine is more dependent on sabotage and long-range missile strikes that require spies far behind enemy lines. And they are increasingly at risk. If Republicans in Congress end military funding to Kiev, the CIA may have to stale back. Isn't that interesting? If Republicans in Congress cut the funding, then the CIA may or may not have to stop waging war against the Russian Federation. We wouldn't want that to happen. Um, so if the Republicans cut the funding, are the CIA agents going to just like do this out of the goodness of their own hearts? They're going to be like, hey, guys, I'm uh, I'm re- I'm retiring right now because I just got to go volunteer to risk my life for the Ukrainian democracy. It's that important to me. No. Well, they've got, you know, they're funded off the books, right? They're doing all types of criminal gang member stuff, hustling drugs, whatever it is they got to do. They're like, wow, come on, guys. We would, we'd hate to start spending the fentanyl money over here. What do you think we're killing all those white teenagers in America for? So that we could do this in other countries. We need you to keep on funding this one. The CIA may have to scale back. To try to reassure Ukrainian leader William J. Burns, a CIA director, made a secret visit to Ukraine last Thursday, his 10th visit since the invasion. So this war is about to enter its third year, and the director of the CIA just made his third secret visit, announces the New York Times. From the outset, a shared adversary, Vladimir Putin of hell, I mean Russia, brought the CIA and its Ukrainian partners together. Obsessed with losing Ukraine to the West, Mr. Putin had regularly interfered in Ukraine's political system, unlike the Americans who never do stuff like that ever. Mr. Putin had regularly interfered in Ukraine's political system, handpicking leaders he believed would keep Ukraine within Russia's orbit, yet each time it backfired, driving protesters into the streets, sort of like here in the United States. (laughs) 
Hang on a second. I got to pull up the Victorian Newland, the Victorian Newland recording. Here we go. Yeah, when they tell you that that Vladimir Putin is interfering in Ukraine's political system, remember this. Come on. What do you think? Uh, I think we're in play. Um, the the uh, Klitschko piece is obviously the complicated electron here, um, especially the announcement of him as deputy prime minister. And, and you've seen some of my notes on the troubles in the marriage right now. So we're trying to get a read really fast on where he is on this stuff. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up, is exactly the one you made to, to Yachts. And I, I'm glad you sort of put him on the spot on where he fits in this scenario. And I'm very glad he said what he said in response. Good. So uh, I don't think Cleet should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you think what, in terms of him not going into the government, just let him sort of stay out and do his political homework and stuff. I'm just thinking in terms of sort of the process moving ahead, we want to keep the moderate Democrats together. The problem is going to be Tony Book and his guys. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of what Yanukovych is calculating on all of this. Um, I'm I, kinda, I, I just... I think Yatz is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tony Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. I, I, I just think Cleach going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yatsenyuk. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no, I think, that's, you know? I think that's right. Okay. Good. Well, do you want us to try to set up a call with him as the next step? My understanding from that call, but you tell me, was that the big three were going into their own meeting and that Yats was going to offer in that context a, a three-way, you know, three-plus-one conversation or three-plus-two with you. Is that not how you understood it? No, I think, I mean, that's what he proposed, but I think just knowing the dynamic that's been with them where um, Klitschko has been the top dog, he's going to take a while to show up for whatever meeting they've got, and he's probably talking to his guys at this point, so... I think you reaching out directly to him helps with the personality management among the three, and it, and it gives you also a chance to move fast on all this stuff and put us behind it, behind it before they all sit down and he, um, he explains why he doesn't like it. Okay, good. I'm happy. Why don't you reach out to him and see if he wants to talk before or after? Okay, will do. Thanks. Okay, I've now written... Oh, one more wrinkle for you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if I told you this or if I only told Washington this, that when I talked to Jeff Feltman this morning, he had a new name for the UN guy, Robert Seri. Did I write yeah. you that this morning? Yeah, okay. I saw that. He, he's now gotten both Seri and Ban Ki-moon to agree that Seri could come in Monday or Tuesday. Okay. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it and, you know, Fuck the EU. Sorry about no, that. Exactly, and I think we've got to do something to make it stick together because you can be pretty sure that if it does, if it does start to gain altitude, the Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. And again, the fact that this is out there right now, I'm still trying to figure out in my mind why Yanukovych that. But in the meantime, there's a party of regions faction meeting going on right now, and I'm sure there's a lively argument going on in that group at this point. 
But um, anyway, we could uh, we could land Jelly side up on this one if we move fast. So let me work on let me work on Klitschko, and if you can just keep, I, I think we want to try to get somebody with an international personality to um, come out here and help to midwife this thing. And then the other the other issue is some kind of outreach to Yanukovych, but we can probably regroup on that tomorrow as we see how things start to fall into place. So this goes on for another minute or so, but you get the idea, okay? This is Victoria Newland, Assistant Secretary of State, on a phone call to U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Piat, okay? They are planning the next government of Ukraine, and that does not happen, you know, when you're like, oh, well, I heard there was a coup over there. I guess the guys who did the coup, they're in charge of the government now, right? No. They did the coup. They're in charge of the government. They're deciding who's in and who's out. And they're like, oh, well, the you know, F the EU, we're in charge, you know? <laughs> it's not even... It's not even the international community. It's Victoria Newland personally deciding who's in and out in the Ukrainian state. From the outset, a shared adversary, President Vladimir Putin of Russia, brought the CIA and its Ukrainian partners together. Obsessed with losing Ukraine to the West, Mr. Putin regularly interfered in Ukraine's political system, unlike that Victoria Nuland brought, who was deciding who was going to be in and out of the new government after the coup. Mr. Putin has long blamed Western intelligence agencies for manipulating Kiev and selling anti-Russian sentiment in Ukraine, which is totally not the case. All they did was violently overthrow the pro-Russian government and then decide who could be there or not. It's not, it's not like that at all. Toward the end of 2021, according to a senior European official, Mr. Putin was weighing whether to launch his full-scale invasion when he met with the head of one of Russia's ma main spy agencies who told him the CIA, together with Britain's MLI-6, were controlling Ukraine and turning into a beachhead for operations against Moscow just totally not true i mean all they did was build 12 bases across the russian border and you know install a puppet government after they overthrowing the elected one those paranoid ruskies with their conspiracy theories you know but the Times investigation found that Mr. Putin and his advisors misread a critical dynamic. Yeah, the CIA didn't push its way into Ukraine. U.S. officials were reluctant to fully engage, fearing that Ukrainian officials could not be trusted and worrying about provoking the Kremlin. Yeah. Oh, we don't know if we could trust those Ukraine guys. Better, better give them a bunch of weapons, see how that pans out. Yet a tight circle of Ukrainian intelligence officials assiduously courted the CIA and gradually made themselves vital to the Americans. In 2015, General Valery Kondratyuk, then Ukraine's head of military intelligence, arrived at a meeting with the CIA's deputy station chief and without warning handed over a stack of top-secret files. Hey, guys, you can trust me. Here's a bunch of top-secret files. <laughs> That initial tranche contains secrets about Russian Navy's northern fleet, including detailed information about the latest nuclear submarine designs. Before long, teams of CIA officers were regularly leaving his office with backpacks full of documents. We understood that we needed to create the conditions of trust, General Kondratyuk said. Now understand something real quick here. Um... <laughs> So Ukraine 
you know, elects Viktor Yanukovych twice, right? Twice elects Viktor Yanukovych, twice the U.S. government overthrows him. And, you know, part of the reason that Ukraine has all this information is because, you know, they were the same country in 1991, remember, okay? And, you know, they're neighbors. And when the United States government is not overthrowing the elected government of Ukraine, you know, it's like normal for Russians and Ukrainians to be friends with each other. It's part of the reason the war is so tragic. And so in order to show the CIA that they can be trusted, they're betraying their erstwhile friends, you see. That's how you demonstrate trust to the CIA, by being a backstabbing traitor to your neighbor, you see. That's how the CIA creates conditions of trust. As the partnership deepened after 2016, remember after the year when John Brennan said that he voted for the Communist Party, the Ukrainians became impatient with what they considered Washington's undue caution and began staging assassinations and other lethal operations which violated the terms the White House thought the Ukrainians had agreed to. Infuriated, officials in Washington threatened to cut off support, but they never did. Hey, 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 cut it out. Stop murdering people. Stop it. Enough with the... Hey, come on. If you kill one more person, we're going to send you a strongly worded letter. Cut it out. I mean it this time, guys. Come on. Stop murdering. Quote, the relationships only got stronger and stronger because both sides saw value in it and the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, our station there, the operation out of Ukraine, became the best source of information, signals, and everything else on Russia, said a former senior American official. We couldn't get enough of it. This is the untold story of how it all happened. The CIA's partnership in Ukraine can be traced back to two phone calls on the night of February 24th, 2014. Eight years to the day before Russia's full-scale invasion and three months before the Maidan coup. Oh, wait a second. I'm sorry. I have my own timeline is messed up, and I should have, <laughs> I should have checked that before I spent the last hour doing this. Millions of Ukrainians had just overrun the country's pro-Kremlin government and the president, Viktor Yanukovych, and his spy chiefs had fled to Russia. So I am I screwed up my timeline. And I'm very sorry. This had already happened in February. You know what I'm thinking of? <laughs> May of 2014 is when Hunter Biden is hired by Burisma. That's what happened. <laughs> yes, that's right. In February 2014 was the coup. And then three months later, they started giving Hunter Biden billions of dollars, you see. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. The government's new spy chief. Uh, millions of Ukrainians had just overrun the Kremlin's pro-Kremlin go pro government, and the president, Viktor Yanukovych, and his spy chiefs had fled to Russia. In the tumult, a fragile pro-Western government quickly took power, thanks to Victoria Nuland, who decided who would be in the new government. The government's new spy chief, Valentin Nalivachenko, arrived at the headquarters of the Domestic Intelligence Agency and found a pile of smoldering documents in the courtyard. Inside, many of the computers had been wiped or were infected with Russian malware. 
It was empty, no lights, no leadership. Nobody was there, Mr. Nalavichenko said in an interview. He went to an office and called the CIA station chief and the local head of the MI6. It was near midnight, but he summoned them to the building, asked for help in rebuilding the agency from the ground up, and proposed a three-way partnership. That's how it all started, Mr. Nalavichenko said. The situation quickly became more dangerous. Mr. Putin seized Crimea. His agents fomented separatist rebellions that would become a war in the country's east. Ukraine was on a war footing, and Mr. Nalavichenko appealed to the CIA for overhead imagery and other intelligence to help defend its territory. Now, by the way, you know, I, you know, maybe Russia, you know, said some things that, you know, might have amplified some sentiment in parts of Ukraine. It's entirely plausible that the Russian government might have something to say about the violent overthrow of the neighbor's government. That happens from time to time. But the idea that, you know, these separatist rebellions were the work of the Russian Federation is preposterous, okay? The people in those areas fought the Maidan coup, okay? Like, that's actually not seriously in dispute. Residents of Ukraine... We're like, hey, I elected that guy twice, okay? You can't keep violently overthrowing the government every time I win. You understand? And then, oh, no, it wasn't like, it's not like those people who voted for Viktor Yanukovych were upset about the violent overthrow of the government. It was just that Vladimir Putin guy fomenting rebellion. Thank you, New York Times. With violence escalating, an unmarked U.S. government plane touched down at an airport in Kiev carrying John O. Brennan, then the director of the CIA. He told Mr. Nalavichenko that the CIA was interested in developing a relationship, but only at a pace the agency was comfortable with, according to U.S. and Ukrainian officials. And, you know... John Brennan, who voted for the Communist Party, he's now in the uh, he's now in the Ukraine, the former Soviet Union, and he's talking to the guys who used to run the KGB, and he's like, "Hey guys, you know, I'm about to go confess to voting communist in a couple of years, but uh, for now, it's just just between us, okay? I voted for uh, the Communist Party, and I'm a big fan of you KGB boys, so we're gonna become good friends, you understand?" To the CIA, the unknown question was how long Mr. Nalavichenko and the pro-Western government would be around. The CIA had been burned before in Ukraine. Following the breakup of the Soviet Union in 1991, Ukraine gained independence and then veered between competing political forces, those that wanted to remain close to Moscow and those who wanted to align with the West. We're often made to believe that those who want to align with Moscow don't exist. There's only, you know, Vladimir Putin fomenting rebellion. There's no legitimate dissent about the subject in Ukraine. And if you say so, we'll kill you. (laughs) During a previous stint as spy chief, Mr. Nalavichenko started a similar partnership with the CIA, which dissolved when the country swung back toward Russia. Now, Mr. Brennan explained that to unlock CIA assistance, the Ukrainians had to prove that they could provide intelligence of value to Americans. They also needed to purge Russian spies, a domestic spy agency. The SBU was riddled with them. Case in point, the Russians quickly learned about Mr. Brennan's supposedly secret visit. The Kremlin's propaganda outlets published a photoshopped image of the CIA director wearing a clown wig and makeup. Yeah, I'm sure that was uh, all photoshopped. 
It wasn't like uh, he was, uh, you know, wearing a clown suit at a Ukrainian furry sex party or something like that. Because John Brennan's a respectable guy and wouldn't do something like that. Mr. Brennan returned to Washington, where advisors to the President Barack Obama were deeply concerned about provoking Moscow. The White House crafted secret rules that infuriated the Ukrainians, and that some inside the CIA thought of as handcuffs. The rules barred intelligence agencies from providing any support to Ukraine that could be reasonably expected to have lethal consequences. Um, you're the CIA talking to a bunch of guys who just violently overthrew their government. You're preparing for war with Russia. Shut up. You're lying. <laughs> you know, hey, guys, OK, we're going to build all these bases across the border with Russia. OK, we're going to uh, we're going to teach you how to kill people and break things and blow things up and, um, you know, intercept the messages. And we understand that, you know. You guys uh, are about to go to war with them and stuff, but you're not allowed to use any of the stuff that we give you to kill people, okay? The result was a delicate balancing act. The CIA was supposed to strengthen Ukraine's intelligence agencies without provoking the Ruskies. The red lines were never precisely clear, which created a persistent tension in the relationship. In Kiev, Mr. Nalavichenko picked up a longtime aide, uh, uh, picked a longtime aide, General Kondratyuk, to serve as the head of counterintelligence, and they created a new paramilitary unit that was deployed behind enemy lines to conduct operations and gather intelligence that the CIA or MI6 would not provide to them. Known as the Fifth Directorate, this unit would be filled with officers born after Ukraine gained independence. Quote, they had no connection with Russia, General Kondrykuk said. They didn't even know what the Soviet Union was. That summer, Malaysia Airlines Flight 17, flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur, blew up in midair and crashed in eastern Ukraine, killing nearly 300 passengers and crew. The 5th Directorate produced telephone intercepts and other intelligence within hours of the crash that quickly placed responsibility on Russian-backed separatists. The CIA was impressed and made its first meaningful commitment by providing secure communications gear and training, specialized, uh, giving specialized training to members of the 5th Directorate and two other elite units. The Ukrainians wanted fish, and we, for policy reasons, didn't want to deliver that fish, said a former U.S. official, referring to the intelligence that could help them battle the Russians. But we were happy to teach them how to fish and deliver fly fishing equipment. <laughs> so again, you know, I'm not saying uh, I've uh, spent many hours researching the uh, the conditions under which the flight from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur blew up in midair. I'm just trying to understand the Kremlin's strategic objective, <laughs> you know. Oh, well, let's go blow up that airplane. That'll show them. <laughs> yeah, well, you think you're going to go to Kuala Lumpur? You got another thing coming, pal. Not on my watch. Kuala Lumpur is where that's our vacation destination. You're going to drive up the hotel prices. No way, man. Let's go read a couple of super chats real quick before uh, I go on with the story. And, uh, you know, you guys who are on uh, the other platforms, you know, we got the um, we've got the uh, we got the entropy thing. And uh, there's lots of ways for you to give money if you see fit. Uh 
Real Tony Soprano, $7.77. Hello to my N-words. Well, hello to you too, N-word. Uh, another $7.77. Did you see the unconfirmed reports that the Russians arrested someone trying to bomb Tucker during his time in Russia? Uh, video confession of someone admitting to taking Ukrainian money. No, I didn't hear about that. Um, I'm going to have to come back to that at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the Ukraine story. 217-688-1433. You like to be on the program. And, uh, oh, you know what I'll do real quick, real quick, real quick. Let's go drop that. Uh, we'll go drop that link here. I just dropped the uh, the entropy link in the chats on um, Rumble and uh, Goyam TV. If you guys care to, that'd be, that'd be swell. Uh, edgy Chris on Cash App. SurrealPolitics.com slash donate or ChristopherKatewell.net slash donate. I'll tell you where my crypto wallets are. Hey, you know what? I'll do it real quick, too. You guys want to You guys wanna hear a really satisfying sound? I'll do this for you real quick. I've got my Exodus wallet open. So if you go to ChristopherKatewell.net slash donate and you throw cryptos at me, you'll hear my Exodus wallet go ka-ching on the air. So feel free to do that if you see fit. And so back to the Ukraine story. And if it's a big one, like you can watch my eyes light up and I'll be like, holy, and I'll curse on the air. I'll be like, I'm sorry for the F. I just am really happy. Anyway, back to the story. In the summer of 2015, Ukraine's president, Petro Poroshenko, shook up the domestic intelligence service and installed an ally to replace Nalavichenko, the CIA's trusted partner. But the change created an opportunity elsewhere. In the reshuffle, General Kondratyuk was appointed as head of the country's military intelligence agency known as the HUR, where years earlier he had started his career. It would be an early example of how personal ties, more than policy shifts, would deepen the CIA's involvement in Ukraine. Unlike the domestic spy agency, the HUR had authority to collect intelligence outside of the country, including in Russia. But the Americans had seen little value in cultivating the agency because it wasn't producing any intelligence of value on the Russians and, could, and because it was seen as a bastion of Russian sympathizers. Trying to build trust, General Kondratyuk arranged a meeting with his American counterpart at the Defense Intelligence Agency and handed over a stack of secret Russian documents. But senior DIA officials were suspicious and discouraged building closer ties. The general needed to find a more willing partner. Months earlier, while the, still the, uh, de, uh, with the domestic agency, General Kondratyuk visited the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. In those meetings, he met a CIA officer with a jolly demeanor and a bushy beard who had been tapped to become the next station chief in Kiev. After a long day of meetings, the CIA took General Kondratyuk to a Washington Capitals hockey match where he and the incoming station chief sat in a luxury box and loudly booed Alex Ovechkin, the team's star player from Russia. How childish. Like, you guys are, like, supposed to be serious people. Hey, let's go. Let's go to a hockey game and, and boo the guy from Russia. <coughs> Oh, way to swing for the fences, guys. Yeah, shut up. 
Who's going to own 100% of my CPU? Who's doing that? Excuse me, just a second here. What is this? Out. Uh, well, I might have to actually close that Exodus wallet after all. Uh, Exodus, I need you to not use 100% of my CPU, please. Um, oh, it's syncing the XMR. It's syncing the XMR blockchain. That's why it's happening. You really shouldn't need to do that because. Uh, anyway. Uh, all right, I'm taking it back. I can't do the. Uh, I can't do the uh, the Exodus thing. I'm sorry if you guys sent me crypto. Thank you very much, but uh, I haven't run it on this computer in a while. And uh, it's it wants a hundred percent of my CPU to to sync up the uh, the blockchain. So sorry about that. The station chief had not yet arrived when General Kontratuk handed over to the CIA the secret documents about the Russian Navy. There's more where this came from, he promised, and the documents were sent off to analysts in Langley. The analysts concluded that the documents were authentic, and after the station chief arrived in Kiev, the CIA became General Kondratyuk's primary partner. General Kondratyuk knew he needed the CIA to strengthen his own agency. The CIA thought the general might be able to help Langley, too. It struggled to recruit spies inside Russia because its case officers were under heavy surveillance. Quote, For a Russian, allowing oneself to be recruited by an American is to commit absolute, ultimate tre in treachery and treason. General Kondratyuk said, but for a Russian to be recruited by a Ukrainian, it's just friends talking over a beer. Now, you know, keep that in mind. That's being published this year in the New York Times. But, you know, the, the people who are doing this nonsense in Ukraine would have you believe that there's, you know, Oh, no, right? You know, Ukraine's a completely different country. It's a totally different ethnic group. They have a different language and stuff. They're not, they're not part of... No. They hate Russia. They don't want anything to do with them. It's like 40% of the population voted for it, but they're a bunch of extremists. It's the same way in the other direction, is my point. <coughs> Probably more so. The new station chief began regularly visiting General Kondratyuk, whose office was decorated with an aquarium where yellow and blue fish, the national colors of Ukraine, swam circles around our model of a Russian submarine. Sunken Russian submarine, I should say. The two men became close, which drove the relationship between the two agencies, and the Ukrainians gave the new station chief an affectionate nickname, Santa Claus, yeah. Because he's the one who comes with the goodies and gives us all of this great stuff. We're really good friends with him. We have, you know, we're very close. That's what's driving the relationship, our deep personal affection for one another. Me and Santa Claus. In January of 2016, General Kondratyuk flew to Washington for meetings at Scattergood, an estate on the CIA campus in Virginia where the agency often fets visiting dig dignitaries. The agency agreed to help the HUR modernize and to improve its ability to intercept Russian military communications. In exchange, General Kondratyuk agreed to share all of the raw intelligence with the Americans. Now the partnership was real. 
and so you know when vladimir putin is like well uh the uh, the whole uh, ukraine being in bed with the united states thing it's a threat to russian national security and they're like no it's not no because they haven't formally joined nato yet so you have to shut up vladimir putin well no as a matter of fact when the cia is uh, arming your defense intelligence agency and then the defense intelligence is spying on the Russian Federation and then directly handing all of the information over to the defense intelligence agency in the United States. Yeah, that's like the definition of a national security threat, as a matter of fact. It's like the whole entire point of having a defense intelligence agency is to kill people before that happens. You see, there's a whole entire point of what you wage war to stop that. You see. <laughs> right. People are like, oh, well, he didn't formally join NATO yet, so shut up. No, they're giving the raw intelligence directly to the Americans, you see. So, the, Ukraine is literally the espionage puppet of the United States in that direction. One might as easily make the argument in the inverse. But either way, it's no good for Vladimir Putin, right? It's no good for anybody who lives in Russia if all of your military secrets go to directly to... <laughs> The Defense Intelligence Agency in the United States. Complete idiocy to, to act like that. To act like Vladimir Putin can allow that to go on is preposterous. Today, the narrow road leading to the secret base is framed by minefields seated as a line of defense in the weeks after Russia's invasion. The Russian missiles that hit the base had seemingly shut it down, but just weeks after the Ukrainian return, just weeks after... Just weeks later, the Ukrainians returned. With money and equipment provided by the CIA, crews under General Dovoretsky's, Dovoretsky's uh, command began to rebuild, but underground. To avoid detection, they called the New York Times and said, publish this in your paper, then nobody will read it. I'm kidding. To avoid detection, they only worked at night and when Russian spy satellites were not overhead. Workers also parked their cars a distance away from the construction site. In the bunker, General Dovoretsky's uh, D General Dovoretsky pointed to communications equipment and large computer servers, some of which were financed by the CIA. He said his teams were using the base to hack into the Russian military secure communications networks. "Quote: This is the thing that breaks into satellites and decodes secret conversations," General Dovoretsky said, uh, told the Times journalists on a tour, adding that they were hacking into spy satellites from China and Belarus too. Well, there you go. Just get us into a war with the with the Chinese, why don't you? Another officer placed two recently produced maps on a table as evidence of how Ukraine is tracking Russian activity around the world. The first showed the overhead routes of Russian spy satellites traveling over central Ukraine. The second showed how Russian spy satellites are passing over strategic military installations, including a nuclear weapons facility in the eastern and central United States. The CIA began sending equipment in 2016 after the pivotal, pivotal meeting at Scattergood, General Dovoretsky said providing encrypted radios and devices for intercepting secret enemy communications. Also, after John Brennan confessed, he voted for the Communist Party. Okay. <clears throat> Beyond the base, the CIA also oversaw a training program carried out in two European cities to teach Ukrainian intelligence officers how to convincingly assume fake personas and steal secrets in Russia and other countries that are adept at rooting out spies. 
The program was called Operation Goldfish, which derived from a joke about a Russian-speaking goldfish who offers two Estonians wishes in exchange for its freedom. The punchline was that one of the Estonians bashed the fish, the fish's head open with a rock, explaining that anything speaking Russian could not be trusted. The Operation Goldfish officers were soon to deploy to 12 newly built forward operating bases constructed along the Russian border. From each base, General Kondratyuk said the Ukrainian officers ran networks of agents who gathered intelligence inside of Russia. CIA officers installed equipment at the bases to help gather intelligence and also identified some of the most skilled Ukrainian graduates of the Operation Goldfish program, working with them to approach potential Russian sources. These graduates then trained sleeper agents on Ukrainian territory meant to launch guerrilla operations in case of occupation. Hey guys, when this results in the country being invaded, we need you to do terrorist stuff, okay? It can often take years for the CIA to develop enough trust in a foreign agency to begin conducting joint operations. With the Ukrainians, it had taken less than six months because John Brennan was in charge of the thing. He voted for the Communist Party. These are the KGB guys. Obviously, they're above board. I editorialized a little bit there. They didn't say that in the Times. What the Times says was, With the Ukrainians, it had taken less than six months. The new partnership started producing so much raw intelligence about Russia that it had to be shipped to Langley for processing. But the CIA did have red lines. It wouldn't help the Ukrainians conduct offensive lethal operations. Quote, we made a distinction between intelligence collection operations and things that go boom, a former senior U.S. official said. It was a distinction that grated on the Ukrainians because they like things that go boom. They're the KGB, after all. First, General Kondratyuk was annoyed when the Americans refused to provide satellite images from inside Russia. Soon after, he requested CIA assistance in planning a clandestine operation to send HUR commandos into Russia to plant explosive devices at train depots used by the Russian military. If the Russian military sought to take more Ukrainian territory, Ukrainians could detonate the explosives to slow the Russian advance. Mind you, this is still in 2016, okay? So, so it's 2016, and Ukraine's like, hey, we want to go plant bombs inside of Russia. Help us, CIA. And the CIA's like, just, can you just give me the secrets, guys? Why are you going to go over there, plant bombs at a train station? Are you guys out of your minds? Okay, we'll get there. Calm down. When the station chief briefed his superiors, they lost their minds, as one senior former official put it. Mr. Brennan, the CIA director, called General Kondratyuk to make certain that mission was canceled and that Ukraine abided by the red lines forbidding lethal operations. General Kondratyuk canceled the mission, but he also took a different lesson. Quote, going forward, we work not to have discussions about these things with your guys, he said. Late that summer, Ukrainian spies discovered that Russian forces were deploying attack helicopters at an airfield on the Russian-occupied Crimea Peninsula, possibly to stage a surprise attack. General Kondratyuk decided to send a mission, uh, send a team into Crimea to plant explosives at the airbase so that they could be detonated if Russia moved to attack. This time, he didn't ask the CIA for permission. He turned to Unit 2245. You know, those guys who were... Uh, <laughs> trained by the CIA. 
the commando force that receives specialized military training from the CIA's elite paramilitary group known as the Ground Department. The intent of the training was to teach defensive techniques, but CIA officers understood that without their knowledge, the Ukrainians could use the same techniques in offensive lethal operations. Hey, guys, uh, we're going to teach you how to break things and kill people. And we want to make sure that you understand uh, that you're not supposed to be breaking things and killing people. This is just like, uh, you know, it's like first aid and stuff. You hope you never have to use it, you know. At the time, the future head of Ukraine's military intelligence agency, General Budinov, was a rising star in Unit 2245. He was known for daring operations behind enemy lines and had deep ties to the CIA. The agency had trained him and also taken the extraordinary step of sending him to rehabilitation because he was a drug addict. No, I'm kidding. Um, sending him for rehabilitation to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Maryland after he was shot in the right arm during fighting in the Donbass. Uh, when he was running around shooting his countrymen that were upset about the coup, uh, vo- the violent overthrow, the coup of uh, Viktor Yanukovych. Disguised in Russian uniforms, then Lieutenant Colonel Budinov led commandos across a narrow gulf in inflatable speedboats landing at night in Crimea. But an elite Russian commando unit was waiting for them. The Ukrainians fought back, killing several Russian fighters, including the son of a general, before retreating to the shoreline, plunging into the sea, and swimming for hours to Ukrainian-controlled territory. It was a disaster. In a public address, President Putin accused the Ukrainians of plotting a terrorist attack and promised to avenge the deaths of the the Russian fighters. Quote, there is no doubt that we will not let these things pass, he said. In Washington, the Obama White House was livid. Joseph R. Biden Jr., then vice president and a champion of assistance to Ukraine, called Ukraine's president to angrily complain. Quote, it causes a giant problem, Mr. Biden said in the call, a recording of which was leaked and published online. Oh, ain't that something? Even Joe Biden can't talk to the Ukrainians without it going, getting leaked, huh? It's a good thing the CIA developed those trusting ties with those fellows. Otherwise, who knows what might have happened? It causes a giant problem, Mr. Biden said in a call, the recording of which was leaked and published online. All I'm telling you is as a friend is that my making arguments here is a hell of a lot harder now. It's my Joe Biden impression. Some of Mr. Obama's advisors want to shut the CIA program down, but Mr. Brennan persuaded them that doing so would be self-defeating, given the relationship was starting to produce intelligence on the Russians as the CIA was investigating Russian election meddling, especially given that he loves those KGB guys. He's been a fan of them since college. Mr. Brennan got on the phone with General Kontratuk and again began to emphasize the red lines. The general was upset. This is our country, he responded, according to a colleague. It's our war, and we've got to fight. The blowback from Washington cost General Kondratyuk his job, but Ukraine did not back down. One day after General Kondratyuk was removed, a mysterious explosion in the Russian-occupied city of Donetsk in eastern Ukraine ripped through an elevator carrying a senior Russian separatist commander named Arsen Pavlov, known by his nom de guerre, Motorola. The CIA soon learned that the assassination, the assassins were members of the Fifth Directorate, the spy group that, CIA, that, that the CIA trained. 
Ukraine's domestic intelligence agency had even handed out commemorative patches to those involved, each one stitched with the words lift, the British term for an elevator. Again, some of Mr. Obama's advisors were furious, but they were lame ducks. The president, the presidential election pitting Donald Trump against Hillary Rodham Clinton was three weeks away, and the assassinations continued. A team of Ukrainian agents set up an unmanned shoulder-fired rocket launcher in a building that in the in the occupied territories. It was directly across the office, uh, directly across from the office of a rebel commander named Mikhail Tolstik, better known as Givi. Using a remote trigger, they fired the launcher as soon as Givi entered his office, killing him, according to U.S. and Ukrainian officials. A shadow war was now in overdrive. The Russians used a car bomb to assassinate the head of Unit 2245, the elite Ukrainian commando force. The commander, Colonel uh, Maxim Shapoval, was on his way to meeting with the CIA officers in Kiev when his car exploded. At the colonel's wake, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, you might recall her, Marie Yovanovitch stood in mourning beside the CIA station chief. Later, CIA officers and their Ukrainian counterparts toasted Colonel Shapoval with whiskey shots. For all of us, General Kondratyuk said, it was a blow. The election of Mr. Trump in November of 2016 put the Ukrainians and their CIA partners on edge. Mr. Trump prayed Mr. Putin and dismissed Russia's role in election interference. He was suspicious of Ukraine and later tried to pressure its president, Volodymyr Zelensky, to investigate his Democratic rival, Joe Biden, resulting in Mr. Trump's first impeachment. We're going to go ahead and skip over that whole part where he was absolutely correct and Hunter Biden, the crackhead son of that son of a bee who's in the White House right now, was getting billions of dollars from the gas company three months after the violent overthrow of the Ukrainian government at the hands of Victoria Nuland. That's, they put that all in fine print between these two paragraphs over here at the New York Times. I'm kidding, of course. But whatever Mr. Trump said and did, his administration often went in the other direction. This is because Mr. Trump put Russia hawks in key positions, including Mike Pompeo as CIA director and John Bolton as national security advisor. They visited Kiev to underline their full support for the secret partnership, which expanded to include more specialized training programs and the building of additional secret bases. The base in the forest grew to include a new command center and barracks and swelled from 80 to 800 Ukrainian intelligence officers, preventing Russia from interfering in future U.S. election was a top CIA priority during this period. And Ukrainian intelligence, Ukrainian and American intelligence officers joined forces to probe the computer systems of Russia's intelligence agencies to identify operatives and manipulate, trying to manipulate voters. Okay. So. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, because they were so upset about, you know, Russians calling Donald Trump a racist in order to, you know, gain racist support for Donald Trump in 2016. They're like, hey, you Ruskies, if anybody's going to call the Republicans racist, it's going to be us Democrats, okay? Don't you be cutting in on our turf. That's our gig. They're so worried about that continuing that they went into a war zone and built an underground bunker in a foreign country and trained 800 spies all to prevent Russian 
bots from talking on Twitter, you see. And the New York Times expects you to believe that because you're dumb enough to pay for the New York Times, you know, if you're not listening to this show. You know. Imagine you pay for a subscription to the New York Times. You imagine you're that dumb. Imagine being that dumb and you go out, you get your paper, and you're like, oh, my God, it's a good thing that the CIA is over building underground bunkers in Ukraine to protect us from those Russians who would convince me to vote for somebody who's not Joe Biden. <laughs> Thank God I'm never exposed to conflicting information. I get everything from the New York Times. Nobody's going to send no Russian propaganda my way thanks to those 800 Ukrainian spies underground. <laughs> I'm so glad I pay my taxes. <clears throat> In one joint operation, a HUR team duped an officer from Russia's military intelligence service into providing information that allowed the CIA to connect Russia's government to the so-called Fancy Bear Hacking Group, which had been linked to election interference efforts in a number of other countries. General, but now keep in mind the HUR. That's the military intelligence group. Okay, that's not the that's not the SBU. That's not the regular spy. This is the military intelligence. They're like, hey guys, we got the fancy bear guys. We got the fancy bear guys. They were gonna go and tweet mean stuff about Joe Biden. <laughs> Turned out one of them's on welfare. He's been subsidized by the by the Russian Federation. Go tell your people that they'll believe it because they're dumb. General Budinov, whom Zelensky tapped to lead the HUR in 2020, said of the partnership, it only strengthened. It grew systematically. The cooperation expanded to additional spheres and became more large-scale. The relationship was so successful that the CIA wanted to replicate it with other European intelligence services that shared a focus in countering Russia. The head of Russia House... The CIA department overseeing operations against Russia organized a secret meeting at The Hague. There, representatives from the CIA, Britain's MI6, the HUR, a Dutch service, a critical intelligence ally, and other intelligence agencies agreed to start pooling together more of their intelligence on Russia. The result was a secret coalition against Russia, and the Ukrainians were vital members of it. Oh, so, yeah, so, like, basically all of these countries... They got together and they're like, hey, you know, let's conspire against this other guy in a manner, you know, not unlike warfare, you see. And then when he's like, hey, cut it out, I'm going to defend my country against your military espionage. He'd be like, shut up. You know, what are you? You're a bunch of Nazis. You're lying. It's a bunch of misinformation. Shut up. Don't tweet about our elections anymore, Vladimir Putin. We've had it with you. In March of 2021, Russia had completely had it with this nonsense and started massing troops along the border with Ukraine. Now, they worded it slightly different, but fundamentally, that's what they said. In March of 2021, Russian military started massing troops along the border with Ukraine. As the months passed, more troops encircled the country. The question was whether Mr. Putin was making a feint or preparing for war. That November and in the weeks that followed, the CIA and MI6 delivered a unified message to their Ukrainian partners. Russia was preparing for a full-scale invasion to decapitate the government and install a puppet in Kiev who would do the Kremlin's bidding. U.S. and British intelligence agencies had intercepts that Ukrainian intelligence agencies did not have access to, according to U.S. officials. 
The new intelligence listed the names of Ukrainian officials whom the Russians were planning to kill or capture, as well as the Ukrainians the Kremlin hoped to install in power, which was totally different from what, like, you know, what, uh, it's totally different from what Victoria Newland was doing the last time the government was overthrown. Like, she's like, yeah, no, these guys can't be in. We'll get these guys in there. Yeah, F the Europeans, no. You know, I'll decide who's in the government. Thanks. Go ahead. Go get handle that for me, will you? Totally different because it's American and, you know, she she's uh, you know, she's got those relatives over there in that Middle Eastern country. President Zelensky, speaking of those people uh, and some of his advisors appeared unconvinced even after Mr. Burns, a CIA director, rushed to Kiev in January 2022 to brief them. As the Russian invasion neared, CIA and MI6 officers made final visits in Kiev with their Ukrainian peers. One of the MI6 officers teared up in front of the Ukrainians out of concern the Russians would kill them. At Mr. Burns' urging, a small group of CIA officers were exempted from the broader U.S. evacuation and were relocated to a hotel complex in western Ukraine. They didn't want to desert their partners. After Mr. Putin launched the invasion in February of 2024, the CIA officers at the hotel were the only U.S. government presence on the ground. Every day at the hotel, they met with their Ukrainian contacts to pass information. The old handcuffs were off, and the Biden White House authorized spy agencies to provide intelligence support for lethal operations against Russian forces on Ukrainian soil. Often, the CIA briefings contain shockingly specific details. On March 3, 2022, the eighth day of the war, the CIA team gave a precise overview of Russian plans for the coming two weeks. The Russians would open a humanitarian corridor out of the besieged city of Mariupol the same day and then open fire on the Ukrainians who used it. The Russians planned to encircle the strategic city port of Od- port city of Odessa, according to the CIA, but a storm delayed the assault and the Russians never took the city. Then on March 10th, the Russians intended to bombard six Ukrainian cities and had already entered coordinates into cruise missiles for those strikes. The Russians were also trying to assassinate top Ukrainian officials, including Mr. Zelensky. In at least one case, the CIA shared intelligence with Ukraine's domestic agency that helped disrupt the plot against the president, according to a senior Ukrainian official. When the Russian assault on Kiev had stalled, the the CIA station chief rejoiced and told his Ukrainian counterparts that they were, quote, punching Russians in the face, according to a Ukrainian officer who was in the room. Within weeks, the CIA had returned to Kiev, and the agency sent out sent out sent out. I'm sorry, and the agency sent in scores of new officers to help the Ukrainians. A senior U.S. official said of the CIA's sizable presence, "Quote: Are they pulling triggers? No. Are they helping with the targeting? Absolutely." Some of the CIA officers were deployed to Ukrainian bases. They reviewed lists of potential Russian targets that Ukrainians were preparing to strike, comparing the information that the Ukrainians had with U.S. intelligence to ensure it was accurate. Before the invasion, the CIA and MI6 had trained their Ukrainian counterparts in recruiting sources and building clandestine and partisan networks in the southern Kherson region, which was occupied by Russia in the first weeks of the war. Those partisan networks sprang into action, according to General Kondratyuk assassinating local collaborators and helping Ukrainian forces target Russian positions. In July of 2022, Ukrainian spies saw Russian convoys preparing to cross a strategic bridge across the Dnipro River and notified MI6. British and American intelligence officers then quickly verified the Ukrainian intelligence using real-time satellite imagery. MI6 relayed the confirmation and the Ukrainian military opened fire with rockets destroying the convoys. 
At the underground bunker, General Dovoretsky and a, said a German anti-aircraft system now defends against Russian attacks. An air filtration system guards against chemical weapons and a uh, dedicated power system is available if the power grid goes down. The question that some Ukrainian intelligence officers are now asking their American counterparts as Republicans in the House weigh whether to cut off billions of dollars in aid is whether the CIA will abound them. It happened in Afghanistan before. Now it's going to happen in Ukraine, a senior Ukrainian officer said. Or maybe they'll just, you know, keep on doing it with the fentanyl and cocaine money. You know, you know, you never know. CIA can do whatever they want. They're a bunch of criminals. Referring to Mr. Burns' visit to Kiev last week, a CIA official said, we have demonstrated a clear commitment to Ukraine over many years, and this visit was another strong signal that the U.S. commitment will continue. Whatever Congress has to say about it, vote all you want. The plan doesn't change. They didn't say that in the New York Times. The CIA and the HUR have built two other secret bases to intercept Russian communications and combined with the 12 forward operating bases, with, with general, which General Kondratuk says are still operational, the HUR now collects and produces more intelligence than at any time in the war, much of, it, much of which it shares with the CIA. Quote, you can't get information like this anywhere except here and now, General Dovoretsky said. And so, you know... That's America at war with the Russian Federation, you might have gathered. And, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe you want to go to war with Russia. Maybe you want to go to war with Russia. That might be a great idea. You know, like, yeah, yeah, do that. You know, why not? Let's just go to war with Russia. You know. If you don't think that that's a good idea, then, you know, it's a, it's a terrible shame that not everybody in the country is completely up in arms about this because that's literally what's happening, okay? There was a uh, there was a headline I saw today that Macron in France was like, uh, "Hey, you know, you got to keep all the options open. I mean, maybe we got to go send military there. You know, some you know stuff happens, right? You're like, well, don't do, don't do that. You know, you just go keep on killing them in other ways, you know." But we, you know, the last time, uh, was it, uh, or do we talk, uh, one of the recent shows, whether it was this or the Uncensored Production, I forget now, <laughs> Ukraine is like, oh, if we, uh, lower the, if we lower the draft age, then we won't be able to replace our population, okay? Which is exactly what they're going to do, and then they'll just replace them through immigration is what they're going to do. It's a genocide is what they're doing. But they don't like to admit that out loud. So, you know, there's a piece in the New York Times where they're like, oh, it's a big problem. And then and then Vladimir Zelensky just the other day in a televised appearance, it's like, oh, 31,000 soldiers have died. <laughs> um, your entire generation, <laughs> you're wiping out your entire male population is actually what you're doing, okay? You're doing that knowing that you're going to genocide your people and they're going to be replaced with Muslim migrants. That's what you're doing. 31,000 people have died. Oh, my God. Not 31. He said 31,000 soldiers. There were 6 million innocent people were killed over there. Terrible thing. The same thing. It's like that Holocaust thing. It happens all the time. Those Jews. They keep on going through it. It's terrible. 
217-688-1433. You'd like to be on the program. If you want to get on the line, get on the line right now. Otherwise, I'll leave you. Let's play this thing. So uh, Tony informs me. So there's a guy by the name of My Lord Babo on uh, Twitter, and uh, he says, uh, Breaking the Russian special service claims to have prevented an attack on Tucker Carlson. This man was recruited by Ukraine to plant a bomb under his car in the hotel parking lot. Let's see what this says. Okay, so he's... Ah, uh, come on. So this is... Uh, I'm going to have to translate this for you because you guys don't speak Russian, but I do. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm reading subtitles. Um... <laughs> Uh, all right, you know what? I'll do, I'll do this. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Here we go. I am Vasily Petrov Alexievich. 1988 from Podolsk. November 2023, I was recruited by an employee. <laughs> I can't even do this. Was trained to work with special communications assembling of explosive devices and also collecting from secret stashes. January 31, from my curator, I received a task to pick up an explosive device from a secret stash and to use it to blow up a car. What were you promised? It's another voice in a different color. Monetary benefit of $4,000. Where the explosive device supposed to be used? In the underground parking lot of the Four Seasons Hotel in Moscow. It was need to pick up the explosive device from the secret stash and put it under the vehicle. Against whom it was planned to use the explosive device. This is obviously poor English translations. It's not my fault. Not much was explained. Now you know who was the target. Yes, American journalist Tucker Carlson. What went wrong? I was arrested during the preparation stage. What? What the? Hang on. Oh. So now they're going to show. Well, <laughs> I guess. Uh... Anyway. I don't know what that was all about. Uh, I'm not surprised. I'm not terribly shocked by this, by the way. So, yeah, that would be great. If you're Ukraine, you know, remember, they're transgender Trotskyite. <clears throat> you know, that cartoon character. <laughs> As a matter of fact, how many change? Change my mics. Oh, that's so much better. That's such a... Ah, uh, so anyway, as I was saying, uh, the transgender Trotskyite, that maniac, um, I forget his name because he doesn't call himself him, Sarah Ashton something or other, Corella, whatever the f her name is. She's like, yeah, if you're if you're ru echoing Russian propaganda, then you're a, then you're a war criminal, and we're gonna kill you, right? <clears throat> 
And she said it about a United States senator. She said it about J.D. Vance, basically threatening the life of an American senator. And that's when they took away her dresses, right? They're like, hey, buddy, we're taking away your stupid drugs and your hair, and we're going to make you wear boys' clothes now because you threatened the people who are paying the bills, all right? Yeah, we're going to kill everybody who criticizes us, obviously, but you're not allowed to talk about it on Twitter anymore, nutcase, okay? And so, but they can't help themselves, you know? <laughs> This is just so funny. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Tempting, but I'm not going to do it. So anyway, I'll check the phone one more time, and if not, I'll call it a night. All right, guys. We do this every Monday at 9.30 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And uh, if you just can't keep your potty mouth in line, then you can call us and curse up a storm on Fridays for the, uh, for the Uncensored production. Same time, same hour just on a different day same places for the most part and uh we would love to hear from you and again you can leave us a voicemail at uh two where's the damn number where's my <laughs> i said it earlier in the show and now that i'm on the phone the stupid google voice thing doesn't show it to me but anyway uh, as a matter of fact i'll just hang up because nobody's going to call in now we'll just we'll just end the show and then it'll show it to me on google voice Bye. Yeah. End the show. Hang up on everybody. There we go. So now that it hangs up, then it'll be like, uh, yeah, 202-599-7386 is the, uh, is the number to leave me a voicemail if you care to, and I'll be happy to take your calls that way. I, uh, I'll probably, I, we're going to probably start looking at a different time slot. I know that uh, I'm like competing with Handsome Truth on Goyam TV. That's probably not smart business-wise, and um, and doesn't uh, doesn't do the viewer any favor. Doing this show from 9.30 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. is not the hottest idea for me either. It's re- absolute havoc on my sleep schedule. I miss doing 5 to 7. I don't know if that's a good time for me to come back, but maybe I'll do that. A number of different things are under contemplation, and if you have any feedback on them, you can go to uh, ChristopherCantwell.net slash contact or uh, leave that voicemail there and be like, hey, don't play me on the air, and maybe I will honor that request, whatever you want. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty easy the guy to get a hold of outside of the fact that I do a live call-in radio show that literally anybody can call and talk to me about anything. You can still find other ways to talk to me, too. So let me know your thoughts. You know, if you're somebody who could maybe throw 100 bucks a month at this thing, why don't you just give me a call? I'll give you my cell phone number, whatever you want. Like, if you're going to throw 100 bucks at me, at me you want to be part of my heavy 100? This is an idea I had before. Um, if, uh, you know, I had this idea... We've had, you know, a few people at different times <clears throat> throw as much as $100 or more a month at this uh, thing. And if you want to be one of those people and you want to be like, uh, you know, we could text back and forth to my cell phone, we'll, I'll take your ideas a lot more seriously. You want to help me do more than these shows? I mean, you want Maybe you want to help me uh, be able to do more books. You want to be able to see what really can happen and you want to throw 100 bucks at this thing? Do let me know. Join my heavy hundred. We'll discuss that. I'll probably write something about this. No, I, I end of the calls, RW official. I've been, you know, like how many times do I tell you guys, like, call the fuck, ooh, sorry, call the phone number, 
You know, and then you're like, oh, well, wait, no, I'm going to wait until after you hang up. And then I'm going to be like, bring the phones back. You know, guys, come on. I'm 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 almost two hours into the show. Call in sooner. You know, I don't, it's so funny. So uh, there's going to be production changes. If you want to influence them, hit me up. If you uh, if you really want to influence them, pay me. ChristopherCampbell.net slash donate. GibsonGo.com slash SPM. Edgy Chris on Cash App. Um, uh, strike.me slash Cantwell is the strike payments. If you don't have strike payments, just go sign up for it. You don't have to do anything. Just sign up for it. Have it. For when they shut that, when they shut down everything else, you'll have that. It'd be a great idea. Then they'll shut down that too. But, you know, then you'll find a new cryptocurrency or whatever. And, uh, you know, we'll straighten it all out, guys. We're going we're gonna to fix this country. You know, maybe, you know what I'll do before I go? Should I do it? Should I play this or not? I don't know, guys. I kind of, yeah, I'm not going to do it because it's not going to get maximum listenership if I do it now. <clears throat> or maybe I'll do it, you know, maybe, uh, what time is it? Let me go check our view accounts. We got so many people there, so many people here. All right. I'm going to play this thing real quick. And I'm, I'm going to reserve the right to play it on the uncensored production at the end of the week, okay? So don't, like, accuse me of just repeating stuff. This is not just me blowing smoke up my own uh, rear end here. I'm going to play this for you, and we're going to come back. So I told you I'm writing this book um, about my 2010 run for the United States House of Representatives. And, um, you know, one of the things that occurred to me when I published Beauty Revisited was I was like, I was just trying to get the thing up right i just wanted i was like yeah get this thing online or whatever and uh when i did that i didn't dedicate the book to anybody i didn't get anybody to write a foreword i i didn't you know there's no epilogue it's just the essay right and i'm like well you know nice thing on amazon is i can you know i could just go back and do that subsequent but anybody who bought the copy of the book already has it without it but whatever you know, when I publish this book, which is going to be substantially longer than Beauty Revisited, which is basically a monologue, it's an essay, it's not a book. This is an actual book. And so I said, I got to dedicate the book to somebody. And I'm like, all right, well, I, I got to do it to my, I got to dedicate the book to my parents, obviously. And so uh, I decided to talk a little bit. I decided to write that dedication and I recorded it and sent the recording to my parents to tell them about it. <clears throat> and I, recorded a much longer introduction, which is most of it is cut out of the recording you're about to listen to. But, you know, this tells a little bit about my early life. And uh, I have something to say about it when I come back. I'm going to play it. We'll be right back. Hey, mom, dad, it's your son, Chris. Hope things are going well. Hope you're having a good time in Florida. I'm writing a book about my congressional campaign in 2010. And so one of the things that I've got to do is I've obviously got to dedicate the book to somebody. And I've decided to dedicate this book to the two of you. All of which is to say that I have written this dedication today, and I think it came out very well. And rather than just send you the text and tell you what it is, I thought maybe I'll read it aloud to you. So here we go. Dedication. Some of my earliest memories are decidedly unhappy ones. Despite this, they constitute the greatest gifts given to me by my parents in the long history of extraordinary generosity they have shown me. 
My father participated in the PATCO union strike of 1981, the Professional Air Traffic Controllers Organization. Less than one year after my birth, he had lost the job and the income that sustained our family in the upper middle class suburban neighborhood where I grew up on Long Island. Despite this hardship, there was no real debate about what to do when my mother found out she was pregnant with my younger brother. She dutifully and joyfully brought him into the world in the midst of all this uncertainty. My father referred to him with all affection as a strike baby, since he was conceived during the abundance of spare time my father had on his hands subsequent to that labor action. Not long after this, he crashed his motorcycle. He broke his hip and for a time was bedridden, relying primarily on my mother to care for him. To this very day, even after numerous surgeries, he hasn't walked quite the same ever since. As a consequence of this chain of events, my father would be very short on spare time in the following years. My parents had purchased their home in the neighborhood they had with the expectation of a prosperous and reliable career in government service. Now deprived of that security and determined to make sure my brother and I had the benefit of our mother at home to raise us, my father worked a number of different jobs at all hours. He also went back to school since the intense training to become an air traffic controller did not directly translate to other high-paying professions. Among the jobs he took was mowing other people's lawns. This began as just him with a lawnmower in the back of his Mercury Capri. Despite his injury, he grew this into a respected and profitable company. One complete with a crew, a large truck, and professional equipment. That was my first work experience in my youth. It proved priceless in my adulthood. It would sustain my family until Bill Clinton signed into law a bill that would allow my father and his fellow strikers to reapply for their jobs when I was in my late teens. My father has since proudly and honorably retired from that career which he loved, and he today resides with my mother in our childhood home. My father was relentless in providing for my family. He did this under very difficult circumstances. The pressure of this weighed on him, and he made more than a few errors. Despite his valiant efforts, my family had less money than a lot of the kids I went to school with. I did not get along very well with most of them. I made more than a few errors of my own, some of which, not entirely unlike those of my father, put me on the wrong side of the law more than once. But today, I am happy to know that a man, to be worthy of that noble title, must do what he believes to be the right thing, that he must do so, certain only of his own capacity for error, and that if he is made to suffer for those choices, he must do so with as little complaining as he can manage. Also, that a woman, to be worthy of that far higher distinction, must stick with him in the midst of an uncertain future, even when things do not look promising, though she is permitted and arguably obligated to lodge more in the way of complaints, without which men might stagnate and fail to reach their full potential. They never exactly told me these things, and since I was not in the habit of listening, it likely would not have done much good if they had. Rather, these things were demonstrated with the most remarkable consistency over the course of my entire life. This was simply the fabric of the world that I lived in, and I could no more deny it than that water was wet. Were it not for that firm foundation, the troubles I'd face over the years in my attempts to learn everything the hard way would surely have destroyed me. Or worse yet, and perhaps more likely, I'd have been too much of a coward to face them, in which case this story would never have happened, much less become a book. And so, obviously, I dedicate what you are about to read to Marianne and Charles Cantwell with gratitude for my creation, for their forgiveness of far too many of my sins and debts, and above all, for not turning me into a pussy. Christopher Cantwell, February 23rd, 2024. 
And so I hope uh, I hope that reached you well. It's written with the utmost sincerity, and I am uh, I am very grateful for all that you've done for me. Thank you. And so you know, I, the reason I play that, and again, I reserve the right. I'm going to do this on uh, on the uh, on the other show because. I know we're not at maximum listenership at the tail end of Surreal Politics after I've been reading from the New York Times for two hours. But, you know, the what I get a real kick out of is when people doubt my sincerity, first of all, about anything at all. <laughs> As if I was going to lie to you, I'd find more profitable deceptions. But... <laughs> When people doubt the sincerity of my, you know, hope for the future, you know, think about the timeline that you just heard there. Okay, it's 1981. I'm less than one year old. I'm I'm a newborn baby boy. <laughs> my father has moved into this, you know, upper middle class suburban neighborhood. Is pulled into this strike by his union, loses his job. Now that. Patco Union strike, if you guys are older than me, some of you will remember this. This was like a big deal when it happened, okay? Like, like the Patco Union strike, they thought that all the transportation unions in the country were going to shut down the whole country, okay? And the Patco guys, they went on strike thinking that all these other unions were going to help them, and they did not do it, all right? And so Ronald Reagan was president at the time, and he's like, listen, you know, <laughs> Us on the right, we're rightly skeptical of public sector unions to begin with. And if you think that you're going to shut down the transportation of the United States so that you can get a pay raise, you're out of your minds. And so the law had been, when they went on strike, the law was, the president couldn't fire them. Congress changed the law, <laughs> and Ronald Reagan said, you get back to work, you're all fired. And we're not, not only are you going to be fired, you're not going to be able to get your jobs, you're not going to be real able to reapply. You're going to be barred from applying for this job. And the Patco guys were like, no way, you're not going to do that to us. And sure enough, they did. Okay. And so while he's on strike, he knocks my mother up again, <laughs> loses his job, which was what their whole life was planned around, that he's going to be in this job until he retires and get this pension. And mom's pregnant. I'm a baby. Here comes another one. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they had a conversation about what to do. But, I mean, there was not, you know, my conversation with them is there was no real debate. You know, mom's not going to abort her child. That was pretty well understood in my family. And so my father goes, takes his Mercury Capri, a two-door coup, coupe, and he puts, coup, I've been talking about Viktor Yanukovych too much. He puts a lawnmower in the back of the thing, starts cutting other people's lawns, and goes to school. And he works his ass off to make sure that my mother can stay home with the kids. And that might have been easier to do in 1980 than it is in 2024. I don't doubt that for a second, okay? A lot of things were different then. I'd be the last person to deny that. But that guy worked his ass, crashed his motorcycle, was bedridden, had to rely on my mother to take care of him. 
and injured from that motorcycle accident, throws a lawnmower in the back of his two-door car and starts mowing people's lawns and saves his money and buys a truck and hires other guys and, you know. And by the way, if you've been listening to the Radical Agenda for a long time, you know that I've told the story, I've told that story in a completely different, you know, angle. That I'm not a fan of my parents and all, you know. As I, I like half did, I almost basically did the Stefan Molyneux defoo thing. Like, I stopped talking to them for a long time, you know? You hear that story, you hear some of the other stories I've told about growing up on the radical agenda in the early stages of this thing. It'll teach you a lot about perspective. Like, you can choose how you want to view things, okay? You can view them as, oh, you know, <clears throat> dad's dumb union thing screwed everything up and he crashed his bike and he's, you know, he's screwed up and screw him. Or you can say that guy worked his ass off to take care of his family, got his job back, and like you know lived heavily ap- happily ever after with his mother, you know, with with his wife, my mother. You can look at it either way. You can take either of those perspectives, and you can tell the story truthfully either way, right? It's up to you. It's up to me in this case, but like your story is up to you to tell, you know. And uh, you know. It had been easy for that guy to be like, oh, my God, woe is me, and just drink himself to death and, like, you know, make everything a thousand times worse, you know. But that's not what he did. He worked very, very hard and with no expectation that it would ever occur. Bill Clinton, a president he did not vote for, (laughs) signed a law that would allow him to go get his job back. He got the job back that he loved, the career that he loved. He worked there until he retired. After he retired, they hired him again in retirement to come and train other air traffic controllers. And he was like, yeah, I love this job. I so want to train the next generation of people who do this. You know, He did not see that coming when he was bedridden from the motorcycle accident with two babies in the house and wondering how he's going to feed them. He just kept on working, you know. And so, you know, when I see people who are like, we're all screwed, breed seeds, just, you know. You have a choice in the matter, man. You know, don't ever get that out of your head, you know. You can choose to view things one way or you can choose to view things another. You can choose to give up or you can choose to work hard. And I'll tell you what, boy. Your life's going to be a lot easier working hard than it is going to be giving up. There's no like, you don't get to give up and then, and then you're and then you escape from the problem, right? That's not the way that works. As a matter of fact, you give up, the problem just keeps on getting worse. You know, on a, on a prior episode of Radical Agenda, somebody's like, you know, wanted me to like, basically trying to pick a fight between me and TRS, but they're like, you know. Can you articulate, you know, why they're wrong about politics? And I'm like, well, I don't know what they said, but I can tell you this. If you think that our politics are screwed because the people involved in our politics are, like, unscrupulous and unethical, well, then the answer is definitely not for all of the people to con- involved in politics to be unscrupulous and unethical. Scrupulous, ethical people have to be involved in politics. Otherwise, the politics will be screwed. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And if you think that you can't make a living, if you think that you can't get a wife, if you think that you can't raise a family, and you don't try to do those things as a consequence, well, then don't be surprised, and that's how it ends up. 
get up, make the effort, do it. You know, you will not, you usually will not be able to see, you know, the outcome of your success. It's not how it starts. You know, you're just like, oh, I have to do what a man has to do. And then you do what a man has to do, and then you're rewarded for that. That's the way the world works, you know. And sometimes, believe me, I'm 43 years old, living where I'm living, not so long out of prison with a probation officer, so screwing my life up. Believe me when I tell you. I am not under the impression that any of this crap is easy by any stretch of the imagination. <clears throat> not under the impression that it happens quickly. I'm just telling you that if you try... You'll get a lot further than if you don't, boy. That's for sure. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for rewarding my efforts. Please do. Happy to have your input any way you want to give it to me. I love my job. I'm going to try like heck to keep on bringing this to you. See you Monday, The Real Politics, Wednesday for the member show, Friday, cursing up a storm and a radical agenda. I turned that down a little bit, it's a little loud. And uh, I'm going to get that book done, so stay tuned. you got to get on the email list so I can email you when this stuff happens. Get a Proton Mail address, realpolitics.com slash getpm. See you soon. Thank you all.